Welcome to the Birth Nurses Podcast. I'm Shana Brickner from Preparented, and I'm joined by my co-host Liz Baker-Wade from Birth and Beyond in Santa Monica, and we are the Birth Nurses. In this podcast, we're going to talk about birth, babies, breastfeeding, nursing practice, and more from our perspective as nurses in the hospital world. From two women who have been on both sides of the birthing bed, we've got some things to talk about that will enhance your understanding of birth. Whether you're a newly pregnant, first-time parent, or expecting your second baby and you want a better experience this time around, this podcast is for you. Join me and my co-host and special guests as we discuss birth from the womb to the room. Welcome everybody back to the Birth Nurses Podcast. We have a special guest with us today. Her name is Dr. Shulman. She has been an OBGYN for nine years. She and her family live in Los Angeles. And today we're going to talk about collaborative care. What does that mean? Who is a part of that? What realistic expectations should you have for hospital birth? So let's just jump right in. Welcome, Dr. Shulman, and hi, Liz. Good morning. Good morning. Hi, Dr. Shulman. So happy to have you. Thank you. Thank you. So, Dr. Shulman, um, Shane and I have had the great pleasure of working with you, and we'd want to talk a little bit about collaborative care today and the kinds of ideas coming from the obstetrician's point of view, and we'll kind of go back and forth, and I just want you to feel free to talk about it. Collaborative care. Go for it. Sure. To me, what collaborative care means is really the meeting of the medical side of obstetric care in terms of what is the best to keep both mom and baby safe and healthy and the meeting of the patient's expectations and desires around uh, what their delivery looks like and how the nursing point of view kind of fits into all of that in terms of balancing those kind of expectations. Because honestly, we often put the nurses kind of in the middle and they have to be the bridge that that connects what the patient's desires are and what the physician's desires or orders are and try to help kind of create and maintain harmony between the players, players of this sometimes, sometimes beautiful and harmonious and sometimes. (laughs) Um, We love the harmonious version better. (laughs) The harmonious is everybody's goal, right? But sometimes, sometimes things fall out of tune. And so, and the nurse is usually the one that has to try to navigate that and, um, try to kind of get everybody back, back on the same beat. Um, and so I do applaud <laughs> you all for the work that you do on that front. So I guess maybe an example is like a better way for me to describe what I'm, what I'm talking about. You know, a mom comes in, she has her, her birth plan or I like to refer to right. them as birth preferences. Um, because, uh, as we all know, nothing in life usually goes actually by the plan that we right. set forward for it. <laughs> and I think childbirth is the first step <laughs> of understanding that for raising a kid. So a mom comes in with her birth preferences, um, and she may have been working on these for, you know, 
the whole nine months of her pregnancy, researching, reading, thinking about what in her mind will be the ideal birth scenario that she wants. And then me or my colleagues, Mm -hmm. right, come in and say, oh, guess what? We need to induce your labor and here's this intervention that we need to do. Um, And some of those things need to be done really quickly, but some of those things, there's some flexibility and, um, and options, honestly, that can be made. And I think that's really where the collaborative care kind of can come in is that, that making that space and time for those Mm -hmm. conversations with the patient and really listening to their desires and their preferences and wants in helping them guide them towards the option that might be best suited to fit their needs. Absolutely true. As a registered nurse in labor and delivery, we're sort of sometimes caught between a walk and a hard place because we're collaborating not only with our patient and with our uh, OB, but with sometimes parents or doulas and everybody has an idea. And what's happened is we've gone into this protectionism kind of vibe, you know? So when patients come in and they ask me questions, I feel like I should be prepared to answer per evidence. And when a patient comes in and tells me that the obstetrician has suggested um, an induction, or shouldn't that conversation start in the obstetrician's office? Because I feel like when I meet my patient for the first time, she is confused or feels like, well, the doctor said it's time, so I feel like I should just listen. And that doesn't feel like informed consent to me. And of course, I'm trying to protect myself, my reputation, my license, and my hospital. And I feel like that patient deserves to have evidence backing up the decision. So why do you think there's reluctance in the community to present evidence to patients when we talk about risk benefit of, let's say, inducing labor? I don't know that there's a hesitance in terms of presenting the information, but those conversations do take time, right? And so you have to be willing to really have that that conversation with the patient. Um, And so I think that's probably or possibly... The, the limiting factor maybe for some, some individuals in, mm-hmm. in their practice who feel like they don't, you know, they don't have the time to maybe go through every single permutation and combination and scenario prior to the event, especially since there are so many unknowns. I personally, like if I'm setting somebody up for an induction, I will go over Mm -hmm. many of the options beforehand, Mm -hmm. like before the patient gets to the hospital to really set the expectations uh, before the patient shows up to the hospital. Um, But certainly I don't, I don't see that every patient shows up to the hospital. And I'm sure you guys can say that with, with the understanding of what that actually means. How can I be collaborative and at the same time when I see that my patient has no idea the road that she's going down, how do I do that without alienating the obstetrician and the people around me? I mean, I've, I've been in 32 years now. 
I don't start any induction until I explain risk benefits and the evidence for both. And when I have a patient say, you know what? I'm 39 weeks in one day. I'm healthy. There's nothing wrong with me. I've changed my mind. How do I present that to the obstetrician? There was no talking out of, there was no pressure. There was simply a delivering of evidence to the risk benefit of this induction at this time electively. I mean, I think you, you just kind of have to say it like that, right? Like we, we went over, I went over, we went over the risks and benefits and she decided that she wants to wait. Do you want me just to do an NST and send her home? I mean, like, and make her an appointment in your office to come back. Um, you know, if it's purely elective, I think that that's if if that if that's only bad. if um, only it were that easy. You make it sound so easy, Doctor Schulman. I know, I know. <laughs> but I think sometimes you'll get you'll make that phone call though, and then you'll actually talk to the obstetrician, exactly. and then and we'll be like, oh, but the patient's in denial that she has like X, Y, and Z problem, or right now, you know, I, I would never. Did she forget to tell you that her placenta is you know that her fluid right. level was. Or, and, you know, that, yes, I'd love to keep her pregnant longer, but But of of course, as a registered nurse, my responsibility is to um, unpack all of that information. I would say, I say, are you diabetic? Do you have a grade three placenta, low amniotic fluid, hypertension, diabetes? Are you here for cause? I'm only talking about a well woman with no problems. I think what's unique about our hospital in general versus some other hospitals is that most of the OBs in our system deliver their own patients. So versus a system where the doctor on call is the one that delivers you um, and the physician isn't trying to juggle all the same, you know, balls in the air of, well, I had this C-section scheduled, and so then right. I'm going back to the office and seeing patients and my induction uh, and thinking that she might deliver at the end of the day, so I need to make sure I finish my patients up by then and this or that. You know, they're, it's whoever's on that yeah. day. Um, and there's definitely pluses and minuses mm-hmm. of both systems. Um, I personally still prefer the system where I get to continue on with my patient from day A to day Z. I can't let go anyways if they were, when I was working in a system where, you know, we were on, you know, you're on for 12 hours and then you're off. Like I just, if I was pushing with a patient, I couldn't leave in the middle. Like, so that was just a me thing. But I mean, certainly. And that's the continuity of care. That's really special about the um right the way but you work in a system where it's whoever's on is on you have you may get less blowback of somebody changing their mind because it's not going to be impacting all those other parts of their 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 day and their structure and everything in the same way potentially because it's like oh well I don't want to be induced today fine, then we'll put you off till 41, 42 weeks or whatever, you know, or you come in in spontaneous labor, um, you know, whatever the institution's like 
how long they'll they'll let you go before inducing for post dates. Um, it's kind of no skin off my back whether you stay or you go, versus a private OBGYN that's managing their own patient's labor. You'd ideally think it'd be no big deal, but they, you know, they are managing all their other parts of their their life. Yeah. Right. So I guess the question is, which I guess we're all in agreement then, is that the patient should not be at the other end of the obstetrician's life, office, home life, family. The obstetrician has to deal with their family. It's like I have it. I go in at seven. I leave at seven. Mm -hmm. Whatever happens, I don't have to go and see 30 patients in the office because the system that I work for wants me to increase my patient load. I don't have to go home and take care of small children anymore. I'm empty nester, um, right? So that, sh that pressure, that conversation, I don't believe really should come into the equation of how patients are treated and informed at all. And it seems selfish because I don't have to live that life, but it is, it is a reality. That patient's problem is not that you have 30 patients to see and that you need to get her delivered at a oh, certain correct. time, right? She should just be allowed sure. to say, I changed my mind and I'm leaving and I just don't feel like I need to be here today. So I think I'm not going to. It's true. But yes, the ideal would be patient changes yeah. her mind and then we all just roll with it because ultimately if it's an elective, yeah. purely elective induction, then it's purely elective. And then, yeah, we keep going. So I have a question to ask you about those hospital yeah. systems and collaborative care. What I have watched over, I was a med surge nurse first from, from 85 to 90 and then went to OB. And back in the day, in the 80s, everybody was a patient that was, you know, there was no hospitalist system. There was no laborist system. It was, you know, your doctor came in and made rounds on you and took care of you. And then they left and went to their office. And we know that that's no longer the case part of the thing that we need to work on and we need to be able as nurses to advocate for our patients and have open communication and dialogues. I mean, okay, let's face it. You're easy to talk to. I can go up to you and say, Dr. Shulman, da, 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 and you'll go, yeah, yeah, yeah right, this is what I want to do, but okay, you can, you know, do that. You know, I mean, I don't find that to be challenging, but you know that there are physicians that are challenging, like it's my way or no way. And I'm wondering how do you think nurses can change that from a doctor's point of view? Or do you think that it's really now just a matter of- I think of, we need to change it from a physician's point of view. Thank you for saying that. I was hoping I was not leading the witness, but I was waiting for you to say that. And I appreciate that. <laughs> also, can I just throw in a little wrench here that I think all- obstetricians should send their patients for birth education because that would eliminate this whole rigmarole of everything where like don't most people recommend people go to class no i don't think so no and, and i'll tell you honestly and i know that this is going to sound self-serving or this is going to this is going to sound like my own agenda but i will tell you that the majority of physicians obstetricians would rather not send their clients to a nurse that teaches evidence-based practice in obstetrics because they don't want to get into these long conversations 
And I know that that shift has taken place in the 18 years that I have been a, um, a birth educator in this community. Um, I will say honestly that the, 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 the four or five out of 30 who send patients to me personally consistently are people who know perfectly well what I talk about in class and they're fine with it. And I want everybody to be able to sit with their patient and take that 30 minutes of informed consent. And I know that that's not possible. And the big thing that I believe would evolve that would really, really push labor and delivery obstetrics forward is if we could find a way to make those conversations less adversarial, confrontational, and confrontational yes. and more collaborative. And the doctors would sort of be able to get to like, this nurse is. So what you're saying yeah. is we need like a kumbaya, like go to camp, but, you know, have alcohol and um, <laughs> do trust, this involves trust activities <laughs> and um, yeah, trust yeah. falls and a ropes course <laughs> and like really work on like communication and bonding and play You're like, you know, those, Jewish, like an epic Jewish, game of telephone. <laughs> and make sure that the, the message makes it all the way through yeah okay so, so, um, so here's the funny thing but, but i think honestly yeah <laughs> I, you know i think and you know i think co- this time of covid you know yeah hasn't helped like Not everybody's right. just stress and anxiety levels yeah. and stuff and so yeah i think as much as we can all try to remember that we're all on really on the same page that we're all trying to get the best outcomes for our patients the woman and her baby and her family and to do so with as much you know grace and you know understanding as we can is really kind of I guess always my goal but um yeah and I think that uh, helps to prevent birth trauma too. Like what I'm finding now is a lot of people mm-hmm. will message me on Instagram or just my friends. They're like, well, what does this mean? Why did this happen to me in my birth? If the patient had been like given informed consent about all the things and educated before giving birth, maybe that could have helped to prevent some birth trauma that happens with a lot of new moms. And even just the birth trauma of non-surgical birth, of physiologic sure. vaginal birth. It's like, yeah. I had a vaginal birth, but I was in labor for three days and I had my membranes ruptured at one centimeter. Then I got Pushed a fever for four hours and yeah. I had antibiotics and my baby ended up in the NICU. And so when I ask, why were you induced? It, because my doctor says it was time or I was 39 weeks and there's this study that says, I'm like, really? You know, so I think that we all agree that collaborative care also is the willingness, the ability, and the openness of the obstetricians and the nurses to communicate freely without ramification. I don't want to have a doctor pissed off at me for two weeks because I said, I really don't feel comfortable inducing this person because she doesn't really know anything about why and she wants to talk to you 
well, what does she want to talk about? You know what I mean? I shouldn't have to have those conversations anymore. And although I love the idea of the whole kumbaya <laughs> that you described, Damn. and I did many of those as a young nurse, I just want to get to just tell me why she's being induced or tell me why she can't do what she wants to do. If there's pathology here, I'm in 100%. But if there's not, I have to question it. It's just part of my being. You know, it's interesting. Um, another nurse and myself did the numbers during the height of COVID. And uh, when we stopped inducing people till 40 and three days, our C-section rate went down to almost 17, 18%. And I know that happened all over. And so it's like our own evidence is there for physiologic birth. But maybe that's food for thought. Maybe we have to think of programs that we can bring nurses and obstetricians together to really talk out those, um, those issues. I so appreciate your input. And we'd love to take care of your patients. Yeah. Let's say, you know, we'll take the example of the elective induction. Like what would, what would be what you think should happen um, before the patient gets to labor and delivery and kind of all that. And then I can maybe go through what I normally do. I feel that there's either unconscious or a very quite conscious fear mongering. I'm not responsible for what's going to happen if you don't get induced. Like, what does that say to a patient? What does that mean? What that says is now I've got it in like what you can't unhear that. What I would like to know is what evidence obstetricians bring to the table to suggest that a patient with, um, you know, what I, we would consider low risk, why she has to be induced for non-cause. And I think that every woman deserves to be able to make a decision based on, for me, collaboration how that collaboration takes place has a lot to do with how registered nurses are perceived, you know, and then we have to get rid of that. There were this, you know, matriarchal archetype that should just, you know, whatever you say and say, well, I want to have a conversation about this because this is also my patient and I'm responsible for honoring the policy and procedures and protocols. And I'm responsible for educating my patient. I can't go and do something without making sure they understand. Would you agree that that's part of collaboration? Yeah, and uh, you know, like I said at the beginning, like the nurse is really that bridge in terms of education, but also in advocating for the patient because you guys are the ones at the bedside, right? Yes. You know, we we disappear back to our offices or call room or you know. Yeah. I, I say to Back people to that our, a lot, you know, like they, they, our houses and their yeah, like I'm, you know. we're here, and we are, uh, you know, I I don't like to, I don't like that notion that we're an extension of the obstetrician because I have a nursing practice that I am that that's what I'm doing, but I'm also here to relay information to my obstetrician. Like I haven't seen my LB all day. I said, oh, be sure. I am texting them, calling them, or writing on them through Epic, through our electronic monitoring, uh, medical record keeping, and they know everything that's going on in here at all times. It's not like they're in their office seeing patients and they have no idea that you're here. They are fully aware of everything that's going on. 
And so I think patients feel better about that. And they then they see what we do at the bedside. And as the hours tick by, they become more comfortable and open up and start talking a little bit. I mean, I've had patients say, I've changed my mind. I want you to turn the Pitocin off. I've decided I don't want to be induced. And I'll call a couple of obstetricians, not a lot of them, and say, the Pitocin's been on for 24 hours. Her cervix has not changed. She's tired of being in this room. She wants to go home. And a few obstetricians will say, okay, discharge her. Tell her to make an appointment to see me this week. We will revisit this conversation. So that to me is a gigantic leap forward in labor and delivery. Mm -hmm. There's a high number of those women who come back in physiologic labor. Don't you think that, Chana? Yeah. When we discharge patients, they came back like, I went into raging labor a few days later. Even if they come back a week later for an induction, now their cervix is Mm -hmm. riper, you know, has made changes physiologically on its own. and. Um, I think most of those ladies end up with a vaginal delivery, the ones that it would be an interesting study to look back on, on our mm-hmm. course, because we do, we do see it in our hospital, maybe once or twice a month, I would say. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That somebody gets sent home undelivered and then comes back. And my guess is most of them end up with a vaginal delivery. Who I may not have if they had stayed for day two, three, or four, I've gotten choreo installed out and this or that. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it is nice when we give that one little side attack or that one pill or the, and they just boom into labor. They, you know, they go, they deliver all on my shift. I started the Pitocin in the morning. They're complete by four. We push for now. Those are always fun. I just want to let our audience know that that does happen. And that not uh, many, many inductions, um, lead to the road of, you know, normal mm-hmm. birth and, uh, and with excellent outcomes that, that Shana and Dr. Shulman and I today were talking about how we collaborate in the face of somebody changing their mind or deciding that they want to have a chance at physiologic birth mm-hmm. and, um, and how, we, how we have that conversation with each other and with the obstetricians and with our patients. Thank you so much. Dr. Thank Shana. you. Absolutely. I hope you have a great day off. Do you have a day thank off? You, ever thank you. When you have children and, <laughs> and you're an OBGYN. No, no. And you're an OB. But um, I, it's, it's, you know, today I put on my, my mom and CEO yeah. of the household hat and uh, try to like get things, get things managed here. So it's, well, I'm not completely living in chaos all the time. <laughs> thank you again, Dr. Paula Shulman, obstetrician in Santa Monica, California. Thank you again. Well, I really appreciated Dr. Shulman's perspective on that. And I loved her analogy of collaborative care being like a harmonious song that we want all the parts to work together and to sound good, right? And sometimes the song might sound different than we thought it was going to sound. Uh, <laughs> our birth might go differently than how we planned in our minds or envisioned, but collaborating as a team. So the patient, the OBGYN or midwife, the doula, the labor and delivery nurse, the husband or the partner, all working together to advocate for this birth to go smoothly. Uh, I think 
is what makes that song harmonious, like she was saying, when everyone has a say and everyone is is flexible. Absolutely. Yeah, you know, she also mentioned balancing expectations and that's hard. Yeah. That's hard for me. It's hard for most people. And like you said, creating and maintaining harmony. And I think the, one of the most important things is collaboration can really only take place, can only really happen when there's trust. Yes. And sometimes it takes a while to gain the trust of a patient that you just met. Sure. It may take a few hours into our shift to sort of get to know them. I ask people where they go, uh, rather where they're from, what they do. Are they locals? We've talked about that in earlier podcasts. So trust, balance, harmony, and sometimes collaboration just means stepping back and letting that laboring person and their people, including their doula, do their thing Mm -hmm. and being um, a spectator and monitor of safety. And that's okay too. I've gotten better with that, obviously, over 30 years (laughs) where I don't have to be involved in every aspect of everything going on in the room and just kind of let go and let them do their thing. Yeah. And um, most of the time, if something comes up, they'll ask, what do you think about this? What's going on? Do you think, you know, this is going well or which I like, but yeah, stepping back also means collaboration. That Mm. was fun. It was. Thank you, Shana. That was great. And thank you, Dr. Shulman. Yeah. We have a feeling that there are a lot of professionals who listen to this podcast and we want to know your thoughts. So if you are a doula, a labor and delivery nurse, or a nurse from a different unit going into labor and delivery or an OBGYN, we want to know what you think about collaborative care and birth and all of it. So please DM us on Instagram or email us so that you can be a guest on our podcast. Or if you just want to share a little blurb about what you thought of this episode, we would love that too. So all of our information are in, is in the show notes. So please reach out to us. We would love to hear from you. Love to hear from you. Thanks. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Birth Nurses Podcast. If you enjoyed this, there are a few ways you can support us. First, you can share this podcast with your pregnant friends or new moms. Secondly, you can write a review and rate us on iTunes. And thirdly, we would love if you would check out our Instagram accounts and websites. I'm on Instagram as Preparented and online www.preparented.com. And Liz is on Instagram as Birth Nurse Liz, and her website is birthandbeyond.net. Thanks for listening.